0: It, it seemed to be the case that as a student begins and continues to practice and start to gain the skill, that he would progressively go towards um, more and more subtle things, or in the sense of speaking of from Patit Samupada mm-hmm. as. A develop that means that we can catch things a little quicker. That we don't have to reside in wanting and grasping. That we can wake up right at that point in contact and even earlier to mm-hmm. that to see how things are being put together. So the point is is that no unfortunately your the practice is a bumpy ride. Yes. It goes up and down. And here's part of the reason why that's true, is, is that as we begin to work on and finding things that are more subtle, more deeply buried, we tend then to think that everything is going to be that way everything's mm-hmm. be okay. And then one of these big boulders come by and bowl us over mm-hmm. and we didn't see it coming. Hmm.
1: And if we try and stop the boulder with chopsticks, to borrow your analogy from a few minutes ago, we're going to fail because it's the wrong tool for the wrong job. We need like a, a bulldozer.
0: Actually, no, it all goes back to the analogy that we that the right thing to do is to get out of the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. see
0: it coming. And that sometimes we think that we're really good at catching the subtle when in fact it slips right up on us, mm-hmm. that it wasn't subtle at all, but when it came, it came with a bang mm-hmm. because we weren't quite open for it. In other words, we had either, either one of two things happen. One is either the student thinks he knows what there is to look for. And that the other issue is the student thinks that he's gotten okay, he's really fine, and he can slack off with his meditation now. And every one of us do that. Mm-hmm. And in the process of doing so, we set ourselves up to, to, to wind up in the ditch mm-hmm. or to uh, a falling down which is exactly what we started practicing working with in the very beginning. Mm. But now way late in the process, the students uh, now are saying, wait a minute, what happened? Mm. And the always the answer, in fact, is in several different uh, ways of looking. In the Zen way, they say the beginner's mind. uh, uh, Goenka says, never mind, start again. (laughs) right? It's always the same thing, Mm. that there really is only one little practice and that practice is is the practice of waking up and taking a look and see what's going on. Mm. And then we make a choice about it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's simple. It's so simple. Every time there's a new application for it, we tend to struggle with it Mm.
1: a few months ago I felt like I was very keen to to talk to you about the the kind of like the most subtle things that were coming up in my practice and that was really what I kind of wanted to like immerse myself in and in our conversations and in practice and like as far as possible in their life and then yeah, I feel like more recently it's been wanting to talk like about like these big boulders of of suffering in daily life and relationship between yeah between them. Anyway, it's it's a rich ongoing thing, isn't it? It's a rich ongoing mm-hmm. thing. Um, right. Talking about practice, um, I've so I've got a week uh, coming up where i've got um a week in a cabin in the countryside uh yeah seven days to practice seven kind of full days um and was interested to get
0: your thoughts and advice on it um is it going to be in a secluded spot say in the wilderness
1: yeah it's like a, a small rural village and it's a cabin at the end of someone's very large garden which leads directly onto uh woodland and meadows and country lanes so yeah there's no it will be secluded okay it's a purpose-built cabin for meditation so it's like there's like a little narrow bed there's a cooker there's space to practice there's like a compost toilet and a cold
0: shower Um, No, 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 the village is the place to practice here.
1: The village is the place to practice
0: there. Not the the village people. Yeah. But the first thought that I had about it, especially with the forest, is to spend a lot of time walking, especially walking in the forest, but in Mm -hmm. the meadows would be there too. I would say it in the sense of go exploring, in both directions exploring Mm. the mind while you're exploring the village and i would also recommend part of the time though you may not go such a far distance this way would be to do it barefoot part of the time to go barefoot
1: my i i I, for the last like six months i only wear like, like sandals with a millimeter thick I'm a big fan of of barefoot. Well, we were in Cornwall for two weeks. I was barefoot the entire time. I'm, I run when I go running on the field with my kids at school in the morning. I do it barefoot. Uh,
0: all right. Yeah, I'm. All right, so, all right. So do this. Arrive with a pair of shoes. Yeah. Put them away yeah. for the entire time and don't take put them back on until it's time to go. Yeah. Now that you're ready, for you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> you shouldn't have told me that you'd already gotten re- yet ready for it. So, go ahead and push your limits. Yeah. Spend the whole time barefoot. Yeah. That would be a good thing, and also with the intention, uh, to go exploring, walking barefoot, so you begin to really begin. How to say it, to be in the present moment mm-hmm. is so marvelous in the in the wilderness, in the woods, in the uh, in the in the forest. It's just ah, well, it, it's being barefoot is literally the right way to be in nature. But while mm-hmm. you're walking, you have to watch where you're going. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of it. And if you've gotten your feet just a little bit, and in fact, in um, let us say a society that I have uh, very comfortable roots into. Uh, they they have the the quality of t- a tenderfoot. Mm. What is a tenderfoot? A boy who or someone who's been wearing shoes mm. who is not ready to go. Okay,
1: someone who's and been so wrapped
0: in cotton wool. So is that the idea? Uh, yeah? But uh. uh Barefoot was always a part of uh, the behavior of the Sangha, that in fact, part of the way of going on uh, Bindabat was to go barefoot. And so even the local people would be very surprised if a monk was out there in sandals, because the tradition is going barefoot. Mm. However that going barefoot doesn't go just for the bend divide or the arms round, but it goes for whenever they're out on Tudong also, or just walking around the watch. Mm-hmm. That there really is not a lot of reason for footwear if we start thinking of it and become more mindful of it. However, England is many parts of the year not uh, let us say people will complain saying the weather is not suitable for going barefoot. But we can just say, okay, we understand your feet are tender. And they're not tough enough yet. Mm-hmm. But basically, um, you, you can uh, walk on it. In fact, in let us say in the dojos and the martial arts and because this island is a um a tourist island mm-hmm. there are a number of uh, karate schools and mixed martial arts mm-hmm. but it's always based around the uh, uh muay thai mm-hmm. of, of thailand sure okay and that one of the things that they do have, the students do, they've got, a in one of the dojos that I know of, they've got this huge, huge gravel area. And the kids are expected, or the adults are expected to go running in this field of gravel. Mm-hmm. Ouch! <laughs> Unless you get used to it. Mm-hmm. Except that, and that's in fact what Achan Poe was doing. I thought that he was just playing games when he would have I and James and whoever was going on Bindabat. Because he would take us into really almost intentionally into rough territory. Mm-hmm. There's actually a plant in Thailand. <laughs> a little plant that's, um, we've got them right here in the yard. They're all over the place. And what happens is, is that if you touch it just a little bit, the whole thing will close up. Mm -hmm. It's very responsive that way. Mm -hmm. But that's not its only protection. It's a thorny little devil. Mm -hmm. And you do not walk on this plant. Mm -hmm. You have to see it and not walk on it. Uh, And so there's more than cow pies out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's gravel. There is concrete. There's all kinds of things to start learning how to walk on, Mm -hmm. knowing that you can handle it, Mm -hmm. that you can be mindful of that, you can do that too, you can take care of your feet, and you can put them to good use, Mm -hmm. so that would be one of the things that I would recommend for you to go on retreat, on a retreat like that, would be, um, actually, you don't even have to do it the way that I said it, you can arrive barefoot, Mm -hmm. and leave barefoot. Mm -hmm. you don't even have to arrive in shoes you can find a way of arriving in barefoot I don't know how you're going to get there that's up to you (laughs) so these are the things that I would say is to make sure that you're spending more time outdoors because you already are um, let us say a skilled meditator and so put yourself out there for new experiences Mm -hmm. You may find things that are quite frightening, which is an opportunity to deal with fear.
1: Talking about frightening, do you have any experience or suggestions around like nighttime practice? Because I was sort of interested in getting out. Well, I was sort of interested in in doing like some sleep interruption things for for the purposes of, of lucid dreaming. So going to sleep and waking up four or five hours after you go to sleep being awake for an hour and then going back to sleep for another three hours or so and if you do that I tend to find that that last three hours is like very very rich with dreams wherein you become aware of the fact that you're dreaming and then can choose to practice or engage with the dreamscape in a really kind of rich and interesting way but I was thinking during that hour to make use of outside room, to make use of kind of going out into nature in that hour in the night at kind of 3, 4 a.m.
0: I've got no problem with that, but let's back up and uh, uh, put this thing in park for a moment and um, discuss it. The first question that I have is, why do you want to have lucid dreams? So I've done...
1: I've had dreams wherein I've like become aware of the fact that I'm dreaming. It's something that I was very into a few years ago, um, like three years ago or so. And it was is actually what kind of got me into meditation in the first place three years ago. But in that process, I had a lot of dreams that I, would, that I can look back on now and they're like these very rich, very healing very like wise dreams, like dreams where you're kind of like put in touch with a part of yourself that has a a depth of wisdom that like the waking minds rarely, uh, you know, is is less able to access. Say, um, and okay. I remember when I went on the when I went on the the uh, Goenkā retreat two years ago, every night it was like just the awareness just carried on into the the fact that you're practicing all day just carried over and crossed into sleep and and most nights i would have uh lucid dreams without even having to interrupt my sleep cycle or anything it just and and they were dreams where i didn't even wake up to being lucid in the dream it was like the lucidity was there in the dreaming from the very beginning and lots of those dreams were very in some of them i would practice meditating and there was some very like interesting experience that kind of came up in that process um or it's like things like you know exploring the dreamscape uh in the knowledge that the dream is a is a manifestation of your mind and you you kind of come into like a very rich expansive awareness so like you're climbing the tree in the dream but you know that the you character in the in the exactly. dream and the tree is really the same thing. And that can produce this like very blissful, expansive state, a little bit like in meditation, when you contract around the thought or a feeling, and then you, you let it go as not you. It's like a similar kind of process. Um, okay. And time, Like showing love, like showing meta has been really rich in my dream, like engaging with the dreamscape deliberate so you become aware of the fact that you're dreaming remember what your intention is and the intention is to like show love to this whole dreamscape to like treat it kind of like respectfully and to see it as yeah those are some of the things that i'm i play with in that space and which i
0: i think is useful okay all right um Also flying. Uh, Many many (laughs) times, go ahead. Say again. Uh, Many times dreaming for people has to do with whatever they would have been thinking about if they had not been asleep. Sure. Okay, so the worries of the day, in fact, that's what they see The dreaming is really all about, is uh, trying to repair the day's damage or even older stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, it seems like that you're doing it, except that now you've reached it at an archetypical level, Mm -hmm. which we talked about a couple of talks ago. Yeah. Um, so, uh, or let us say, down in the in the metaphorical level. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but let's pull back for just a moment uh, and think about, first off, let's look at the word bodhi. The word bodhi means to wake up. Mm-hmm. The Buddha had an analogy of burning by day and smoldering by night. And he didn't put a lot of, um, uh, let us say, not really worth the time, especially in the sense of rehashing last night's dreams Mm -hmm. or uh, uh, that kind of thing. But really, what we're looking for, if the actual meditation is to be able to wake up to our Mm daydreams, then we can look at the night dreams in the sense of also beginning to wake up to them. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That's what you're doing when you're lucidly dreaming. You're beginning to wake up, Mm -hmm. but you're only waking up with the dreaming the same way that you wake up to the hindrances when you recognize them as hindrances. Now you recognize dreams as dreams, Mm -hmm. but we haven't thrown them out yet. Mm -hmm. The hindrances. So what are we going to do with these dreams? The answer is we're going to learn somehow to control them just like we're learning to control the mind. Mm -hmm. One of the ways of doing that is by intentionally waking up. To wake up. Another one is, in fact, that's the best way. That's the beginner's way to do it because we really do want to wake up. We can wake up and we can recognize that was a dream and whatever good state that I could dream my way into, I can go into that same state now completely consciously mm. by working with Dhanapanasati. Mm. That's the key. I'm not saying that these dream states are not exalted because for a lot of people they're not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if that's the direction that you want to take your lucid dreaming, Then take it that way, instead of dreaming your way into it, wake up in the night and see your way into it, because you'll get better success, actually, Mm. that things are kind of haphazard in the dream state. But if you wake up, you can begin to control that. And part of the, and so actually we can just say, okay, I wake up and then I think about the dream and say, you know, right now it's just so nice. Mm. And I'll look at the window and I'll see it's still dark out and I says okay, it's okay. I know where to go. And I can just ah, and relax again. Mm-hmm. Because in fact that's again taking a load off the mind. And when the mind is dreaming, it's spinning. It's mm-hmm. it's smoldering.
1: But if you can be within that within that within that kind of the vortex of the dream and you can sit down and and practice Anapanasati in the dream and and sometimes the dream will dissolve and you'll just be in this kind of like in a much emptier like non yeah that's also you don't need
0: to okay so yes do that but also make sure that your sati is strong that you can actually wake up into the reality of the Anapanasati not dreaming it. Mm. No, you're not dreaming taking deep breaths, you're actually doing it.
1: Well, do um, you know in, there is a relationship
0: between breathing, it's one of the
1: few things. For example, if I've got, I've had lucid dreams before when I've had a blocked nose. So there are some things that you are aware of when you're dreaming. And for me, it's like the eyes and and the nose and the mouth and breathing. So often a precursor to becoming lucid in a dream is like a a visual fading in the dream. And it's actually because my eyes in their rapid eye movement are like starting to open. So I feel like an awareness of the fact that in my real life body, my eyes are kind of half open and that corresponds to a feeling of like half closed. They correspond to a feeling of like losing visual clarity in the dream.
0: But similarly, I gave it the name of REM suite. Yeah. Because the doctors could see the eye movement.
1: Yeah. They're flickering. The same
0: thing with the dogs when they're dreaming, you can see them. The exit go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh
1: Uh-huh. But similarly, I've had, Dreams where I've become lucid because I've got a blocked I feel like my breathing's a bit blocked in the dream, and then I suddenly go, Oh, wait a minute, I've got a cold in real life. This is I'm feeling my real life breathing sensations in the so dream.
0: That's 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 the beginning or the budding of the waking up. Mm. Okay. So part of the way of helping the wake up is going to be when you're in that state, is begin to bring into your awareness you don't have to use your eyes for this but bring into your awareness your proprioceptic system yeah in the sense of knowing your body's posture what posture are you in yeah when you're lying there is it a posture on the side or is it on your back or is it on your chest and you want to wake up enough to come back into the posture that is preferable which is the reclining posture called the lion posture by the way of the buddha which is on the side
1: yeah yeah we've spoken about that before and i found that very helpful actually for maintaining a if yeah if you go to sleep with the intention i'm this is a good posture i'm going to stay in this posture and it's like this little seed which then in those moments when you kind of very slightly wake up in the night you like oh am i still in that posture or have i moved to a
0: Precisely. Now that will actually add then to um, both the quality of waking up and the quality of being able to control the dreams.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because a, you're bringing
0: that, reality into it.
1: There's a really interesting place you can get to with that where you become aware of two bodies, you're like your dream body and your, your real life body. And you kind of flit between awareness of one and the other. And then mm-hmm. that's an interesting place um what in terms of sitting what do, would you be more like uh inclined to be quite free with like as opposed to sort of quite heavily scheduled with the sort of amount and everything that i on a on a, on a self-led retreat
0: i would approach it like this by starting off when I was in North Carolina, some of the people would ask, especially having been to one of the nearby uh, Christian monasteries in Raleigh, and they would ask, well, what is your schedule? Mm-hmm. And I was say, hmm. <laughs> we do lunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what about the sitting and the walking in the city? Well, that's a retreat. That's teaching the students how to do it. Okay, that really the, pl- the place to do it is called seclusion, mm-hmm. which is what you're seeking here, mm-hmm. all right? And so I would say that the mixture of sitting and walking meditation has nothing to do with the clock.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it does have to do with uh, your, your, your mood, your attitude, your attitude um all kinds of things and so that you want to mix them throughout the day but sometimes you will go for a really really long walk mm. and then I'm, you'll come and i'm kind of
1: in my head or thinking that like every afternoon after lunch I'll, I'll i'll eat one meal a day at lunch at like midday and every day after midday go for like a proper kind of like hour two hour have that kind of period of the day set aside for like you know being really outdoors
0: remember the thing that i told you about the shoes don't take a clock
1: yeah okay don't because i think i have a tendency with things like that to be like right and i'll have one hour where i'll do this and then i'll do this 45 minutes then 15 minute mindful movement then this and this and then i'll have three hours to practice before lunch and then i'll do
0: i ain't got no clock <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, natural, yeah. natural practice, okay? Yeah. In the sense that if you're going there to practice Anapanasati, then that's what you're going to practice regardless of what posture you're in mm-hmm. or regardless of what you're doing. So while you're not sitting and while you're not in walking meditation, you're probably doing something with your hands, like giving yourself a bath or um, whatever, cooking food or eating the food. Begin to pay attention to that sort of stuff, too. So if you're working with your hands, pay attention to your hands, mm. grasping, reaching, and become more and more mindful of everything that you're doing. This is a good opportunity for That's really what the students are supposed to be doing in retreat anyway. It's just too darn hard for the beginner. Mm -hmm. But you can do it. Mm -hmm. Not in the sense of every second. I'm not talking about it that way. But that you're up to the challenge of that the practice is not about the postures or the timing. It's about the whole retreat of literally getting in seclusion from the world and from the hindrances, including being in, in seclusion um, from, let us say, the dreaming, so that we spend much of our time in wakefulness, mm. to be alert. This is so strange that the Westerners think that meditation is all about sitting in very, very quiet and going into what they call deep thinking the jhanas are down there deep someplace. Mm. Well the doors to the jhana is the first jhana. Mm. If you can't get into the first jhana, then going deep don't get into jhanas. It I don't know where it gets, but it doesn't because you're not uh uh-huh. and so the mindfulness practice of getting the mind completely free from the hindrances so that you can just literally enjoy the time the whole time. Anytime you're not enjoying yourself, you think, catch it. Mm. Catch any moment that you're not actually having a blast, mm. having a ball. Every moment that's not delightful, take a look at it. What are you doing? What kind of thorn have you stepped on? <laughs> mental thorn, you know?
1: Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> mental thorn. So. Wow. Um okay
0: <laughs> no the mental thorns are the ones that hurt the worst <laughs> Just put the quickly
1: <laughs> all right do you know i'm really i'm really glad that you've said that because i feel like uh i've been thinking a bit about that and i know that i might i have a tendency to approach that kind of thing in a quite regimented way And I feel like that kind of tendency towards a kind of disciplined regimen has served me well in the past. Like it helped me get over uh, incredibly unfocused mode of existence. And I kind of came out of that. And one of the ways of coming out of that was was having a kind of a a discipline, a much more disciplined approach to life. But I I now feel that that discipline. Now
0: you've got to go find that new discipline from sheer determination or easier than that sheer eagerness yes to become eager to be here now yes
1: well also like the the, the regimen is is a way of not being here now right the regimen is a way of kind of but being... you
0: got to start someplace yes. right we got to bind ourselves up to get ourselves going
1: yeah yeah um but also it, it completely transforms it because it Instead, if you let go of that, of all those time constraints, then you no longer, then it becomes like endless, right? Like the time kind of, uh, Eckhart Tolle actually said something quite interesting about time once where he's like, you have horizontal time and vertical time. And we all, and most people live in horizontal time continuously, like from here and I've got to do this and then I've got to do this. And then if I look back and, and it's just like this horizontal movement, whereas actually if we can kind of like, enter into the present moment then kind of time opens up on a vertical axis and become you free free yourself of that kind of like a to b to c to d this minute to this you know that existence of always being in the past or in the future and you open up to
0: okay i i think that's an interesting way of saying it here's another way of saying actually the same thing Mm. and that is the clock Mm-hmm. over the course of the century since we've had them has done very little other than help the individual slice and dice and cut up his day mm-hmm. like a piece of pie except that now it's all slivered up. Mm-hmm. What you're going to be able to do from time to time and, get, and begin to develop being in the present in the sense that this is always the present. This is mm-hmm. it. There's no time or um, uh, breakage in there. That this moment is just, In other words, the day is just one long minute. Mm-hmm. Or one long moment. It's just mm-hmm. the day. This is it. Rather than the morning and the evening and mm-hmm. the afternoon and the lunch and all of that kind of stuff. No, there's just now just this is the day so you, today. Su-
1: you suggest a kind of very spontaneous relationship to the present moment rather than a kind of I'm gonna sit for this time and then at this time I'm gonna eat and
0: uh-huh so we're we're putting in unnecessary boundaries yeah and so this is what we mean basically by freedom is to take off those bounds taking mm. off those those boxes taking the mm. freedom uh Away from, because uh, your time doesn't belong to a clock. Mm. Why, do, why did you try to give your way to a clock, your time? Well, we were told to do that as children. We even give children gifts of a clock. Here, mm. and it, it's like it's like belling the cat. It literally really is. Mm. you know the story of belling the cat?
1: Be- no, I don't know the story of belling the cat.
0: Oh, oh. The, all the mice got together and figured out that we need to figure out where that cat is. That cat's so quiet. And one of them says, we need to put a bell on that cat. Yeah. And so they tried and they snuck around and they did everything they could. And they never get to get that bell on the cat. And then one of them says, you know something? I bet the cat would like it if we gave this bell as a gift. <laughs> and so they give the gift of the bell. And the cat happily put it on.
1: Gosh, that's a good. That's a good metaphor. That's a good. That's a good story. Where does that come from? That's very. That's a very wise story. Um,
0: I, but yeah, it's a, uh, I think I got it from the cartoons, either Warner Brothers or Disney.
1: <laughs> Gosh, that's great. How we how we willfully take on these. Things that actually disable us or whatnot. What do you think about reading? What do you think about bringing? Um, like for example, I've got uh, two collections of sutras which I which I read, which I dip in and out of. You know, do you think I should bring a translation, for example, of that and a panacity sutra of like? Satipatthana Sutta and that I can read or like the yeah do you
0: think that would be helpful to bring that and Um, that would be of limited value Mm. but in fact uh, in retreats they generally tell the students to park your books. yeah Because uh, reading literature actually takes us, in a way, to the world, Mm. even if it's the world of the writer of the book, rather than being in the garden that you're going to. So I would recommend uh, not taking any literature. However, I would uh, caution you to make strong note during that week uh, when you have the thought, I wish I'd have brought something to read.
1: Do do what? Make a strong note of that thought.
0: Make a strong note of the thought that you have. I wish I had brought something to read.
1: Yeah.
0: Why is that? Because that's the hindrance of boredom and restlessness. Mm. Okay. okay. Work with that phrase closely. That's in fact one of the reasons that you're out there is to uh, starve the mind that is greedy for sensual input, Mm -hmm. which is what those books are. Mm -hmm. And instead, take your sensual input from actual sensual input. Mm -hmm. The garden, the forest, Mm -hmm. the meadows, the mind. That's the place to start dwelling. Don't worry about I didn't bring a book and so poor me, I'm bored. Mm. <laughs> that's a wake-up call. That's, that's a wake-up, okay? So be sure that you note very closely when you say, Oh, I wish I had a book or something to do or uh, I wish the time was over. That that kind of I wish for <clears throat> is basically a clear sign of restlessness mm. which we could also call boredom mm. they have the same qualities
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm going to ask you another similar question and i suspect get a similar answer what do you think about bringing a notebook and
0: actually i was going to cover that one too yeah. Keep a journal, sure, up to you. Okay. If you like it, it might have some great value for you, not when you read it later, but as you're writing it, it'll help you collect your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've seen students do something like slam their pencil down on the paper and say, damn, <laughs> that's because they got it, Okay. Mm. Okay. And so, yeah, I'm taking notes.
1: That's interesting. So it could be a kind of bridge between, like, bringing some of the kind of like non-conceptual insight of the practice, and then by trying to put it into words, suddenly it it can kind of manifest in a more coherent link.
0: Right. It becomes. uh, Let us say it becomes uh, no longer cloudy, but completely conceptual. So that's the point that you can describe what's happening to yourself with your own understanding. In other words, you really do put that puzzle together.
1: Great. Okay, this is all very, this is helpful. This is is good. One other question, practice or sort of oriented. I feel like, um, so for example, the only other time I've done a proper multi-day retreat was when I did uh, a Goenka retreat two years ago and the like the exponential growth in my samadhi during the retreat from where it was before was enormous like enormous Uh, it was like incomparable before during and after which i found very frustrating because i didn't have any context or wisdom so at the end of the retreat i was just essentially sort of really upset that i could no longer meditate or so it seems do you know what i mean like in the days after the retreat it just felt like all of my ability to meditate just evaporated
0: it can be summed up in the song the thrill is gone
1: yes i i don't i don't worry anymore about that those types of thoughts because i feel like in the last year i've seen you know, I, I I see these things moving in cycles and if I ha- have a sit where there's like lots of distraction and lots of dullness, I just I'm, it doesn't bother me in the slightest because I'm just like that's oh, an opportunity to work with this in it's this another of- op-
0: so in this even of- at that
1: so that's so fun. You,
0: all right. So you can see that point about I wish I had a book. Yeah. You can also begin to put uh, let us say, cohesive thoughts together in the sense of the thrill is gone because then we can wake up immediately and say, okay, the thrill is gone. Never mind, start again because otherwise we'll start pining for it and wanting something we don't have and then we get stuck into hindrance.
1: Okay. Well, this is sort of similar to what, what I was going to ask which is that should, do you think I should in some way prepare or read up about certain things in anticipation of the fact that my, uh, that the kind of samadhi and, and unification of the mind will probably grow quite a lot during the retreat. So should I, for Let example... Let
0: us say this. Let's figure out which skills that you want to uh, develop. Yeah. All right. Well, the classic ones would be more sati, more sati. How how much more can you come back and be in the present moment yes okay the next skill would be to develop um uh sukkah yeah become completely content and satisfied with this week yeah moment by moment day by day during the day whatever part of the day it is this is a good part of the day this is excellent wow (laughs) Whatever temperature it is, this is really nice weather. And so you get into the state of being satisfied. Mm -hmm. When things look like they're about to become dissatisfying, you can say, wait a minute, I can handle that too. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I'm up to that task. So that way you can keep the mind free from the hindrance. No matter what hindrance knocks on your door, ah, nope, I'm having too much fun. Go away, you bother me, kid.
1: <laughs> In terms of those skills, so yeah, so like continuity of sati, right? Like how continuous, how bright can that be throughout the day when cooking, when walking, when eating, when showering, when sleeping, etc. That And... And tying that in with Sukha, like that, that sati is reminding you to come back into the present moment in a uh, joyful, pleasing, satisfied way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that that sort of seems like a, those are uh, the two skills that can kind of hold the whole thing together, right? Like.
0: That's exactly right. Those are the two primary skills that you're going to go for, is sati and sukha. Where they're going to
1: lead to, I basically, I just, I strongly... I Don't I,
0: worry I, about that. It'll make it a surprise. It's a surprise it, journey.
1: I <laughs> for example, because, uh, like, jhana-wise, I shouldn't kind of, uh,
0: perhaps, no, You need to develop being satisfied. Yeah. That's the skill that the students need to develop, not higher-numbered states, but really get skillful at that really sweet spot. Mm -hmm. That's what the mistake of the Buddha was when he was practicing, too. First Mm -hmm. jhana wasn't good enough. Until he later recognized, years later, he recognized finally, yes, the real work to be done is in the first jhana. Mm -hmm. And so you must get yourself into that state of satisfaction because only then can you really see clearly. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When we're suffering, it's hard to see suffering. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When we're covered with mud and we stink really bad, it's hard to admit, yeah, we stink really bad. But after we take a bath... We're not about to go get back in that pig pen, mm-hmm. okay, which is actually something that uh, you can borrow from the Islamic civilization,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because they say that uh, we have no evidence of heaven, and the answer to that is, yeah, well, anybody who's gone there, why would they want to come back here?
1: mm mm-hmm. <laughs> no thanks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Sorry. I'm not your messenger. I'm going to stay here. I like it here. I'm not leaving. <laughs> and so this is the way that we were going to get into that state of sukkah so that when hindrances come by, you can say, "Sorry, boy. I'm out of here. I'm, you know, no. You, I'm not going there. I'm going to stay in a state of contentment and satisfaction." Yes, but what I'm, I
1: suppose what I'm getting at is that, we're, given the kind of seclusion, given the continuity of practice, and given those two things, sati and sukha as the kind of containers, I imagine that the mind will incline to quite to to, to enjoy getting quieter and quieter. And subtler and subtler at that point, right? Maybe
0: so, but what we actually can actually say is is that you begin to enjoy it. Yes. More and more. Yes. Go for the go for the satisfaction. Yes. Go for how secure and comfortable you feel. Yes. That's the way to go with it. Okay. Um, you're suggesting
1: though that I just let that unfold naturally rather than sort of essentially try and read up maybe in preparation on say the formless jhanas and jhana 4 which currently I feel like I have little elements of them like factors that pop in like you know like an awareness of a kind of boundlessness of space or of consciousness
0: basically what we can have we can have a conversation that when you say I got into this state I can say okay I can verify that you're giving me the jhana factors for the second jhana which yeah. is the right way to do it. Rather than me giving you a list of factors for you to want and search for and need and desire, because you're there to enjoy yourself, not to want second jhana. If you, if you actually pleasure yourself into second jhana, then we can talk about it. But pleasuring yourself into a second jhana is when you've gotten so deeply into, Um, Vedana, that all of our thoughts are no longer verbal thoughts, Mm -hmm. they're all feeling, which means that we've literally explode with good feelings. Mm -hmm. But see, now I've told you too much because (laughs) now you're going to go off (laughs) trying to. I don't think (laughs) I I will, I
1: don't think I will. Like, uh, I feel like my, yeah, like I feel like I, I have uh a couple of areas where i've matured in the last year has been as i said in relation to like the equanimity to the ups and downs of the practice and also in that kind of striving thing i actually feel like those are two things which a year ago were very very pronounced in the way i interacted with practice and i genuinely feel that that has dialed down an enormous amount and i'm not so
0: okay well get ready for it to be dialing down a bit further yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i i highly recommend what you're doing and i support you completely and I want to hear all about it when you come back, if you do. <laughs> in fact, it would be a great success if I never hear from you again. <laughs> oh
1: dear. Okay. Well, look, I'll probably speak to you before then anyway, because I'm going. <laughs> I'm going a week on Friday, so I'm going okay. in like, days' time. So I suspect I'll I'll speak to you at some point before then. Oh.
0: All right. Well, I think we've covered pretty much what we we get ready to do, but there's probably some last-minute questions and whatnot, so you can call and sure. But anyway, good luck on your retreat.
1: Okay. Thanks very much, Damarati. Go well.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.